Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Decatur City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Decatur City Church app where you can find access to all of our recent message content. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope you enjoy the following presentation and I hope it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, in 2004, at the age of 29, after being a bachelor for all of my 20s, uh, I got married uh, to the love of my life, and um, it's, it's been a, a wild journey, but I will tell you that first year uh, was quite the adjustment for me. After being a bachelor for a long time and only having to worry about me and only have to care about me, um, you know where this is going, I, I really was only really focused on me, which was a rude awakening when we moved into a house together and um, she was there all the time. And uh, I loved her very much, but like I didn't have my own space anymore. I had like a, a fifth of a closet. I had like a little bit of counter space in the bathroom. And, and so that was, a, that was an adjustment. I will tell you that first year I ate better than I had in all of my 20s. Um, my wife is an amazing cook, and so um, I ate really, really well. So well, by the way, that uh, at the beginning of 2005, I decided I need to set my sights on better health. I had been uh, eating very healthily, but not living very healthily, and so I had set my sights on this uh, cleanse. Anybody ever done a cleanse, by the way? You've done a cleanse before? Nobody wants to raise their hand for that. How about the lemonade cleanse? Anybody want to claim that one? It's like lemonade, honey, and cayenne pecker, pepper. It's terrible. Like, that's not the one I'm talking about, but I've done that one before. I'm, I've experimented with a lot of these things. But anyway, I, the beginning of 2005, uh, I signed up for this uh, really intense cleanse. If the, the lemon, uh, honey, cayenne, pepper one is like on a, a five on a scale of one to 10, this is an 11. Like this is like next level. I was taking like supplements and eating this certain diet. There was all sort of all these things that went into it. There was certain things I had to drink. Anyway, so I, I was on this cleanse for about a month. Yes, I said a month. I was on this cleanse for about a month. And um, it was uh, the eve of Valentine's Day. I'll never forget it. You'll find out why in just a second. But the eve of Valentine's Day, and we had some friends in from out of town, this couple we hadn't seen in a long time. And they came over to the house. And um, that evening, I sort of, ate things that I shouldn't eat on the cleanse. You know, you're supposed to come out of that slowly. And so I ate some things I shouldn't. I kind of enjoyed myself that evening. And um, the whole time after dinner, as we sat in the living room hanging out, my abdomen was just killing me. Like I couldn't figure out what was going on. My stomach was hurting, but I didn't want to say anything because it was kind of embarrassing. You know, like I felt like I had gas, you know, it's like that, that kind of pain in my lower abdomen. And so I didn't say anything. And as soon as they walked out the door, I said to my wife, I was like, oh my goodness, the whole time we've been sitting here, my stomach is killing me. And she's like, what's wrong? I was like, she's like, do you think you have gas? I was like, I don't know. Like, but it, but it, it hurts, you know? And like, I, I can't figure it out. And, and she's like, well, just go up and take a bath. You'll be fine. That's what I do when I have cramps. I'm pretty sure I don't have cramps, but okay. I, I'll try that. I was like, at that point, I was in so much pain, I'll try anything. So I went upstairs and, and I got in the bathtub and that did not help at all. And so we called a nurse friend of ours and um, she said, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to push on the spot where it hurts. And um, some of you know where this is going. And, and I pushed and it wasn't so bad. And then she said, now I want you to let go really fast. She was testing for rebound pain. And so when I let go, it hurt so bad, I almost threw up. It was so, the, the pain was so intense. And um, she said, you need to go to the ER right away. She goes, I think you have appendicitis. And so we went to the ER, we drove straight to the ER and we got there and um, sure enough, uh, I had appendicitis. We spent the night 
uh, in the hospital. Uh, she slept all night long while I was awake. Uh, we were in the hospital together, but she stayed with me. We were there all night long. And then uh, to celebrate our first uh, Valentine's together as a married couple, I had my appendix out, which was awesome. Like that was our, that was our Valentine's Day gift to each other, I guess. And um, it turns out as much as I had set my sights on becoming healthy, um, you can flush too many toxins out of your body at one time. And my doctor was like, what were you thinking? Like, this is not good. Like, this is a bad thing. And so I tell you all that to say, um, you should be careful about what you set your sights on, which is what this series is about. And that's a humor, humorous story for us to recap this, this primary idea that we've been getting at. The Apostle Paul uh, in Colossians chapter three, he, he says this, he says, and this is speaking specifically to Christians, followers of Jesus. So if you're not a follower of Jesus today, um, you, you can kind of listen in and listen at us today. But here's the thing, at some point, I wanna challenge you and a little later in the message. I, I have a couple questions for you specifically, but he's talking to believers and he says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. There's something that's been promised to you uh, in the age to come in the next life in heaven, and you need to set your sights on that reality in this life. Now, today we're going to conclude this message series, and um, I've received a lot of great feedback and a lot of interest and a lot of questions, and I've been trying to respond. If I haven't responded to you yet, I'm, I'm trying to get there. I'm responding to as many of the questions as I get through email and social media, um, but um, I want to I want to give you four uh, books. If you're interested in reading more, I mean, we did a three part series on heaven. That's not nearly enough to cover the subject of heaven. Um, but here's four books, really quick. If you're interested in reading more, I'm not suggesting you read all four of these books, but they're all really different. I read all four of these and have pulled content from these books in this series. Randy Alcorn's book Heaven sold over a million copies. If you have a question about heaven chances are he addresses it. Literally, he just goes through and addresses a bunch of questions about heaven. Great read. There's another book called Imagine Heaven, maybe probably my favorite of these four books. Um, uh, John Burke is a pastor, and uh, I, I've met him before. He talks about this book about near-death experiences. And as a matter of fact, he interviews a whole bunch of people who have near-death experiences. And and many of them experience things that are very similar to what's in the scriptures. And some of them didn't even know it was in there. Some of them were not followers of Jesus, would not have called themselves Christians. It's fascinating, fascinating read, Imagine Heaven. If you're looking for theology, looking for something a little thicker, uh, N.T. Wright wrote a book called Surprised by Hope. He's an incredible theologian. And then um, C.S. Lewis is always a favorite. Uh, he wrote a book that's really an allegory about his view of heaven and hell. It's called The Great Divorce. So there, there's some resources for you if you wanna dig in further uh, after the series. Um, so we're concluding this series today. Some of you probably wonder what's next. Next week, by the way, uh, we're starting a, a new series. Andy's kicking off a new series uh, on his book, speaking of books, Not In It To Win It. Now, he told me that he wanted you to know you don't need to buy it. And the reason you don't need to buy it is because he's not trying to sell books to you. He's, he's more wanting you to know uh, what you've been living out. Uh, we've been living this out over the last couple of years. He wrote the book um, as, as sort of a, hey, this is what it looks like um, to live in this world, in this combative world. And so you're, you're not gonna wanna miss that. The next two weeks, um, he's gonna talk about what we've been trying to live out, what we've been trying to model out uh, over the past couple of years. You're gonna get a lot more on that next week. So make sure you show up for that. Okay, so back to the week one of this series. We talked about three distinct realities. Apostle Paul says, set your realities on heaven. If you haven't been with us, uh, we looked at three conversations Jesus said, and he talked about the realities of heaven. Heaven, He said that heaven is now in another place. That's what happens when you die. That's the present heaven. It's here at another time. That's the future eternal heaven. 
And heaven can also be here and now in another way. As we live out the values of the kingdom of heaven, people experience heaven on earth. We said that he's talking in the context of this age and the age to come. This age and the age to come. Now, these first, uh, the first and third ones are about this age. We've covered these so far in the series. Today, we're gonna talk about the age to come. We're gonna talk about the heaven that's here at another time, the, the heaven, um, the, the, the future heaven, uh, where the heavens and the earth will become one. So here's what I wanna focus on today. What do we know, or what do the scriptures teach us about the age to come? What do we know about the age to come? Where, where will we spend eternity and what will that be like and what can we expect? And I, I think many of the questions I've got, I've been telling people, hey, wait till week three, wait till week three. We're gonna talk about some of this stuff. So we have a lot of ground to cover today um, and I wanna make this intensely practical because this isn't just about, hey, let's consider some things. If we're gonna set our sights on something, as we've been saying in this series, what we look toward, we live forward, or what we look forward to, we live toward in life. And so I wanna give us something to live toward. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, the Apostle Paul um, is writing to a, a group of believers who have lost sight of heaven. In fact, uh, Jesus has been gone. He, he, was risen, he rose from the dead and then he ascended into heaven and, and they're going, and, and some of their friends and family members are dying. It's sort of the natural course of life. And they're trying to figure out, wait, wait, you, you said you're coming back and this kingdom's gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna establish this new kingdom, but we're losing friends and family members. And so the apostle Paul's writing into their concern specifically about loved ones who had died before the return of Christ. And this is what he says. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. As Christians, when people die, if someone's a follower of Jesus, we don't have to grieve as someone who has no hope. He's saying, like, we have a hope. I want you to, I want you to remember. I want you to fix your mind on what our hope is. He says this, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that, Jesus, that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Now, this is important. This is part of the core beliefs of Christianity. I just wanna pause here for a second. Um, the, the, first, the first of these core beliefs is, is that there's, there's gonna, there was a bodily resurrection of Jesus. The specific, uh, the scriptures teach us this, and I'll just say this. Nobody's paying me to say this, and nobody um, made me say this, but um, I think this is one of our senior pastor's greatest legacies uh, that he's gonna leave. The, the work that he's done over the last several years uh, to refocus not just our church and our churches, our collection of churches, but to, to refocus the church on the resurrection of Jesus as the hope of our faith, as the source of our faith, as the thing that triggered and uh, ultimately brought us all of these teachings and the scriptures together so that we could have an understanding of what it is to follow Jesus. I think this is a massive gift that will pay dividends for literally generations to come. It's a much more sure thing to base our faith on. It's rooted in history. It's rooted in how the world was changed. And, and the bodily resurrection of Jesus is a core belief. But another one is the bodily resurrection of all believers. And this is what Apostle Paul's talking about. And, and not everybody gets that these two things correlate because Jesus raised himself from the dead. He proved he can not only conquer sin on our behalf, but death. And so he could conquer death, our death on our behalf, and there will be a bodily resurrection. In, in another uh, letter to a different church in Corinth, as Paul's trying to establish and remind people of our hope and what our, our beliefs are, he says this, he said, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die. 
but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. And I don't know about for you, but um, this is really good news for me. Most of us can think back to a time when our bodies looked a little better than they do now, and they felt a little better than they do now, and they worked a lot better than they do now. And if you can't, you will, I promise you. I thought that was never gonna come for me, and I can tell you right now, um, as I'm entering the second half of life, like this is like, this is a, this is, this is a reality in the world. And, and the Apostle Paul, this is what he's getting at, is unlike in the modern world today, the hope of our physical resurrection, uh, this was a powerful thing amid the first century followers of Jesus. And, and it, was, it was even, interestingly enough, it was a hope over and above what happens to you when you die. They actually had more hope in the future eternal heaven than they did in the, the present heaven, uh, being with God uh, after they die. Not that that wasn't great. John Piper, he actually makes this observation. He says, it seems to me that the hope of resurrection does not have the same uh, place of power and certainty for us today that it had for the early Christians. And I think one of the reasons for that is that we've come to a wrong view of the age to come. Yes, uh, to die is gain, and yes, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. But this is not our ultimate hope. This is not the final state of our joy. This is not our final or main comfort when we've lost loved ones who believe. Now, that's not to minimize it all. What we've talked about the last couple of weeks, the excitement for the present heaven and, 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 and the, the, the release from pain and brokenness that that will deliver us into in this life and the satisfaction in the presence of God, but it's not our ultimate hope. Um, leaving this present earth for the present heaven, it is better, um, but the ultimate hope of the believer in the future eternal heaven is even better than that. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to establish. Now, today, I want to try to do something that um, is sort of ambitious. Um, our main uh, text that we're going to look at today is in Revelation 21 and 22. Now, when I say that, I know some of you go, oh, Revelation, like, okay, that, that's a really confusing, and there's a lot of metaphorical stuff, and I don't know what to take, literal, metaphorical, and a lot of us just, like, we avoid Revelation, because, like, either that, you either, you either grew up in a church that avoided Revelation, or you grew up in a church that only preached on Revelation, and if you grew up in a church that avoided Revelation, it was like, you were, you were, like, you were like, nervous about it, you were scared about it, because you were, like, didn't know how to interpret it, and if you grew up in a church that only focused on a Revelation, you were scared about it, and you were nervous about it because of what was preached about Revelation. And so, so I, I want to try to do my best to try to pull apart some of the, the metaphorical and some of the literal. And I want to sort of give an overview because Revelation 21 and 22 gives us, I think, the most concise and best description in one place of the future eternal heaven. Now, it, it's amazing because um, it, it actually uh, consolidates and, and, and again, um, it... it it pulls together much of what we read in other places in Scripture. In fact, there's about 18 characteristics just in these two chapters that are, that are um, directly correlate to things that Isaiah wrote eight or 900 years earlier than John was writing when he wrote Revelation. And it's, that's significant because um, Isaiah, I don't have time to get into this today, but Isaiah not only predicted 
some things about the future heaven, but he predicted, if you remember, a bunch of things about the Messiah, extraordinary things, like over 20 different specific predictions that were fulfilled in the Messiah. So his track record's pretty good so far, and John's in good company aligning himself with Isaiah. And, um, and as he starts this picture, God gives a John, and we don't know if he was sleeping, if he was awake, but he gets this vision of heaven. God wants to give John a picture of heaven as he, like other believers, are struggling with what's going on and, and, and the, how long are you going to allow this to happen, as, as we talked about last week. And this is the picture John said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, this is, this is uh, if you weren't here week one, we talked about this age and the age to come. And this is really, as he's talking here, he's talking about the age to come. This, this, this present age, uh, in this age, this present earth and this present heaven, it passed away and there was a new earth. He says, look, there's a new earth. And, and, and what's interesting about that is he doesn't say there's like a new and a different place. He says, look, there's a new earth. And this new earth, it, it had characteristics of this earth. And it, it wasn't just a new earth, it was a new earth that had a new heaven attached to it or connected to it. And I, I don't know how to draw that because I don't know exactly what it looks like, but he's, he's like, look, there's a, there's a coming together of heaven and earth. There's this new heaven and this new earth. And, and, and the, this age uh, translates or it changes into the age to come and the age to come is no longer the present heaven and the present earth, but it's the new heaven and the new earth. Now, he's about to reference something we haven't talked about in the series. And um, I know you guys are smart, so uh, you're an above average audience, so I'm gonna assume you can handle this. I, I, wanna, I wanna talk about this because he's actually gonna re uh, reference three eras. I told you the Hebrew understanding of time was this age and the age to come. But John not only refers to this age and the age to come, he refers to a prior age. He's gonna tell us about, he's gonna compare and contrast sort of these three different ages in this in, in this, these, this chapter uh, 21 and 22. And I, I can't read all the verses, but we're gonna kind of go through some of the highlights in the verses. Skip down to verse 10 if you have your Bible open. He says, and then he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. You remember we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago that uh, heaven is this future place. Jesus said, I I'm going to prepare a place for you. And this place that he's being that's being prepared for you, John has a vision. God says, hey, I, he says, I want you to come see this. I'm gonna bring you up on this mountain and I want you to see what I'm preparing for you. And John chooses to describe it like a city. A and he uses very earthy terms to describe this city that's coming down from the present heavens, this place that was being prepared for you and for me. In the description of the city, in the following verses, he, he talks about foundations and walls and gates and streets that were all very much a first century Hebrew version of what cities looked like. And, and, and everybody could relate. John's basically saying, no, no, this is like a place that's familiar. I mean, it's better than the places that are here, but this holy city, this great city, this perfect city, it, it's like a city. I saw it. it, it it's very much like our cities and it's descending down. And, and, and John's referring to a couple of things. He, he's saying, look, look, there, there was... Um, this new heaven and this new earth that I saw, it was recreated. There's a recreation of this earth, this, this new earth that we're gonna have. There's a new earth in the world 
And, and the new earth that I saw, John says, is, is it was descending out of heaven and it was a recreation of this earth. It wasn't a completely different thing. It was a recreation of this earth. And in the prior age, um, this, is, this is prior to the fall of man. This is prior to sin entering the world. You remember God created the world. And there was a period, we only have a, a little bit of information about it. We don't actually know how long it lasted. But when God created everything, he had it just the way he wanted it. And then sin entered the world and death entered the world. And, and that sin began to corrupt and affect all sorts of things. And so in the, the prior age, God had creation the way he wanted. In this age, his focus was not on anymore on creating. His focus was on redemption. It was on uh, uh, redeeming people and redeeming the world and then recreating this world. And he's doing this simultaneously in this age. He's redeeming people, but he's also recreating this world. And in the age to come, that recreated world will join us. Now, just hang with me. I'm gonna pull all this stuff together in just a minute. He goes on. He says, and the city, and the city has no need of sun or moon for the glory of God illuminates the city and the lamb is its light. The lamb is a reference to Jesus, who uh, we find out in the scriptures, he was and he is and he is to come. He, he's the eternal king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He expands all of these ages and the world becomes illuminated. This, this age to come and this recreation of the world, there, there, there is no need for a sun or a moon because Jesus, his presence, the Lamb of God, it's the light for the whole world. Now, I don't know what that means. Like, how do you sleep? And some of you are like, no, I need it pitch black. I even, when I get in a hotel, I, I put the towel down underneath the door, which I'm with you. I put the towel down underneath the door and I take the clothes hanger out of the closet and I actually clip the, if you've never seen that trick, it's a really great trick. I, I, I clip the, the, the curtains together. Like, you're like, I need it to be dark. I don't know how, I'm sure that's all gonna work out, by the way. I'm not sure exactly how, but here's what John's saying. Look, there's, there's a, the, 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 the Lamb of God, Jesus, he was, he was president. And, and, and John, actually, in another one of his, his writings, he refers to him as the Word. And he said, the Word was with us in the beginning. And when the Word was with us in the beginning, he gave light to the world. He, he gave light. He, he created light, and he sent it into the world. And then in this age, he came, the Word became flesh, he tells us. And he dwelt among us. And he became the light of the world in this world. He became the light of life for people. He led us to life. And then John tells us in this vision of, of heaven uh, that he will be the eternal light. He's the eternal light in the world. And this eternal light will never go out. It's actually his presence with us forever. Here, he gave us a part of his light. He gave us, he illuminated things in the world. And, and, and here, he became light he became light in the world to light the way in the midst of the darkness. And in, in the future heaven, he will be the eternal light that will give light and direction to all things. Then he goes on and he gets metaphorical. This is, this is I love this part. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb. So you remember Jesus went inside of the right hand of God. And so flowing from him is this river flowing uh, with water of, water of life. It's just this water of life. It's crystal clear. And it's this idea of purity and this life that's, that's the source of all things. The light and the life of God is the source of life for all people. And it flowed down. It flowed down the center of the main street. And on each side of the river grew a tree of life 
which if you've been around the Bible for a while and um, we, we've talked about the, the garden story before, um, there were two trees in the garden. But in this, in this uh, eternal heaven, there's tr- two trees and they're both trees of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop in each, one, uh, for, in each month. And the leaves, the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. So he's talking about, uh, again, this, 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 he, he references the prior age. And he's, he, it's sort of, these are, these are images of Eden. These, all of the people that John was writing and distributing this to that have been very familiar with the Hebrew story of creation and what Eden, the Garden of Eden was like. These are all these images of, of rivers and trees and fruit and th- the throne. They're all images of Eden. And basically what he's saying was, in the beginning, God had things the way he wanted them. And he blessed it. He blessed it in the beginning. And he blessed it as, does anybody remember what he called it? Help me. It's good. He said, this is good. God created everything in the beginning. And he gave it light in the world. And and, and when things were illuminated, he looked around and he said, this is good. Everything here is good. And then we're told that a curse came. And the curse, the, the curse that came in the world um, the world became cursed uh, by sin. But in the age to come, the curse will be finally broken. The curse will be broken. In this life, we still deal, living in this age, in this world, in the present earth, we still live with the curse of sin in our world. But in the age to come, this curse will be broken. In the new heavens and the new earth, this curse is gonna be broken. Now, I... I don't know if you'll find this interesting, but I, 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 from time to time, um, I have a, especially as I'm teaching and I'm studying, I have an epiphany. I, I recognize something. I see something I've never seen before. And as I was studying for this series, like this was several weeks ago, and particularly for this message, I saw something I had never seen before. And I think this is like some of the mysteries as you continue to read the scriptures over and over, which I think you should do. Like this is interesting stuff, isn't it? Like, you just have to dig into it and read about it a little bit. I mean, I didn't know any of this stuff until I started reading some of these books, but like, this is one of the things that's fascinating, and I, I didn't leave myself quite enough room here, but, but um, it, what's interesting is all of these ages, uh, they have something in common. All of these ages have two trees. There's two trees in every age that represent something, and it represents something significant, and in the, if you remember, in the garden story, let's write two trees down here. So if you're taking a picture, you're like, what are those cloud-looking things at the bottom? Because those aren't awesome trees. Um, but I can make fun of myself sometimes, like, as it relates to my drawings. I, 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 anyway, it's not barely legible, too. But there's two trees. And I want you to think about this. In the prior age, there were two trees in the garden. And one was the tree of life. And the other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there was a choice between the trees. And that single choice led from uh, life as good and perfect uh, to the introduction of death in our world. A single life choice led uh, to brokenness and death and chaos in our world. And and then in this age, it's interesting, uh, when God was focused on redemption and Jesus came to become light, the, the curse of sin was broken and it was broken as a single man chose death to bring us life. He, he, he looked at the tree of knowledge of good and evil that brought death into the world, man's choice in that, and he chose to hang himself on another tree, to be hanged on another tree. 
And he chose to give you and me life by choosing death. This is what I love about the picture of the age to come. When this curse is broken, John refers to two trees in the eternal heaven. And both of the trees on either side of the river, they're both trees of life. Because heaven is characterized by eternal, everlasting, thriving, a fullness of life for everyone. It flows from the throne of God into our lives. It's a recreation of earth where all we experience is what we were designed to experience, what you were meant to experience. Every shadow of everything that you experience here, every longing you've ever had, it becomes satisfied in the, pre- in the future eternal heaven from the life that's coming from the throne as, as uh, the life that these trees, that, which is a metaphor that, that are, are giving to the world, it's as if to say there's two options and your two options are eternal everlasting life in the, pres- in, in the future eternal heaven when you're there. And your other op- option is eternal everlasting life in heaven. Those are the two options. There's really, they're one and the same. And um, it's not just humanity. It's all of the world is groaning to be restored for this. In Romans chapter eight, the apostle Paul says it this way. He says, all creation not just humanity, all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. When he comes and he raises those from the dead who have died and and he lifts up those uh, who have placed faith in him Uh, against its will, speaking of creation, all creation was subjected to God's curse because of the choice of man. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward if we could just if we could just borrow from the idea of what all of creation is yearning for it's looking forward to something as we've been talking about it's looking forward uh, to the re- restoration and the recreation of all things the creation looks forward to the day when it will join god's children in glorious freedom from death and decay For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. This is my not so subtle um, nod to moms on Mother's Day. Uh, I won't draw that one, uh, but but, um, he says this, and we who are believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of the future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and from suffering. We too, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights, the inheritance, all that he's promised us as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he's promised us. Now, this is so important. I'll just take us back. Like, this is, this is, you know, the summary of all of this is, is that what's promised is a new earth. What's not promised is a non-earth. See, this is where we get ourselves into trouble. And I just, just for the sake of fun, because I actually have become uh, quite fond of drawing this little picture, because um, it's kind of fun to draw this, this little picture we, we've had that represents, you know, sort of our flawed and small and failed view of heaven. You know, it's, it's like, we have this picture of, of, of like clouds and gates and, and streets of gold. And John's trying to say, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not a non-earth. It's a new earth. It's everything you can think of that's, that's, that's good in this world, being redeemed and recreated. 
There's a theologian, uh, A.A. A. Hodge, and he says it this way. He says, heaven as the eternal home of the divine man and of all the redeemed members of the human race must necessarily be thoroughly human in its structure, conditions, and activities. There must be, I know this is thick language, but check this out. There must be the exercise of all faculties, the gratification of all tastes, the development of of all talent capacities, the realization of all ideals, the reason, the intellectual curiosity, the imagination, the aesthetic instincts, the holy affections, the social affinities, the inexhaustible resources of strength and power native to the human soul, basically everything you've ever felt or thought must all find in heaven exercise and satisfaction. That's what makes heaven, heaven. Every thrilling ride, meaningful encounter, pleasurable experience, and moment of deep satisfaction you've had is a shadow of the eternal heaven. Just last week, I traveled to Arizona to um, do a wedding for some friends, and it was a great time. Um, but one of the things I used to do, uh, the sun comes up really early because uh, of the time zone and the where they are in the time zone. The com- sun comes up really early in Arizona, and it's awesome because it's so hot during the day that you want to get up really early in the morning because it's the only cool time of the day. And um, I love to walk through our neighborhood. I- I'd get up early before uh, we lived in a neighborhood that had a golf course, and-, and I would walk through the golf course before any of the golfers got out there. And so uh, I always walked this golf course, and there's this one spot on the golf course that's my favorite. And um, this is the spot on the golf course. There's a mountain, this mountain in the background that was just viewable from out of our backyard. Um, but this course ends amazing. It's an incredible design. If you're not a golfer, just bear with me for a second. There's a drivable uh, uh, par four is number 16. There's an island green right here. There's an island green. It's kind of a little hard to see. You're actually tee off from over here. I'm standing on the drivable par four. There's an island green par three, and there's a risk reward par five. That doesn't mean anything to a lot of you, but it's like really like three amazing finishing holes in golf. It's like, I always look for the whole round. I look forward to the last three holes. Talk, talk about setting your sights on something. It was like, you know, the rest of the course in the neighborhood, it was just okay. You get to the last three holes and it's like, can we just play those three holes six times and call it 18 holes? Like that's what I wanted to do. So this is one of my favorite spots. And I stopped and took a snapshot because I was feeling like, man, this is something I really miss seeing. Like this feels like a slice of heaven. And then I had this thought as we're in the midst of this. It's like, I'm not gonna only experience this again. I'm gonna experience this to a greater degree, to a perfect degree. Because anything good that we experience on on earth is a mere shadow. It's a taste of. It's a peek at what is to come. And it's even better than you think. Here's why this picture is so important and why this picture is so important. Because here's the danger. The danger is the same experiences that give us a glimpse into the eternal heaven have the potential to create in us an attachment to the present earth. The things that that we look forward to, the things we experience here on this earth that we think, gosh, this feels like a taste of heaven. It actually has the potential for us to create and sow our lives into this present earth. It makes the the fear of leaving this earth and this world, it, it makes them consume our attention. It keeps us looking forward and living toward um, this life and other experiences in this life, not in eternal heaven. And so as we're closing, here's what I want you to miss. Here's what's at stake. I'm gonna go back to Revelation chapter, 20, uh, chapter 22. 
And John says this, he hears Jesus say this. Jesus says, look, look, I'm coming soon. Now, I don't know what soon is for, for you, but like if it's, the scriptures say that a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. And so it's only been a, a little over a couple of days in heaven since Jesus said this in, in that economy. But he says, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. This is Jesus saying how you live your life on earth will impact how you experience heaven. It'll experience your rewards in heaven. Jesus taught this over and over and over. As a matter of fact, there was one time Peter was so disturbed by the way Jesus was teaching this and he was worried. He was like, like this is like a, such a high bar about heaven. And, and, and when Jesus was, was confronting uh, a rich young ruler, basically saying uh, what he had to do to, to, to encounter or experience eternal life. And Peter, Peter said, okay, after he walked away, Jesus, Peter goes, wait, wait, I don't really understand that interaction. Peter answered and said, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? You know, what, what, what are, we, are we doing all this for nothing? And look at what Jesus said to him. He said, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, that's when the age to come, that's when we move from this age to the age to come, when I return at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, talking about his disciples. And he says, then, and everyone, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife and children or fields for my sake, basically anybody who sacrificed anything in this life for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know any investments where you're guaranteed 100x of your investment. This is not, again, about how you get into heaven. This is about how you'll experience heaven. Now, what if you were guaranteed 100x, 100 times your investment? I mean, isn't that extraordinary? We're not talking about 100%. That's only two times. We're talking about 100x. Some of you are doing the math real fast. It's 10,000% of your investment. What if you knew you were guaranteed 100x? How much would you want to invest? How much would you want to invest in this life if you were gonna receive 100x of whatever you invested in the life to come? That's the promise of Jesus. So now I thought it would be a good time to invite our volunteers forward and take an offering. <laughs> just remember, your return on investment's 100X. So just think about how much you want in the life to come. Just kidding, we're not actually gonna do that. Some of you got nervous. It was like a nervous laughter and then... Here, here's, here's I, got, I got one illustration I wanna finish this with. Here, here's the deal. This is, I saw this about 15 years ago. Um, uh, some of you may know this name. Uh, there's a guy named Francis, Francis Chan, and he's a great Bible teacher. And he, 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 I, this is the first time I ever saw anybody do this. And um, he pulled out a rope and he said, look, look, this is, this is like life. And, and if you can see the end of this rope, um, it, it actually goes on forever back there. We can't find the end of it. We haven't found the end of it yet. But this is like life, not just your life. This is, this is life. And, and we, we set our sights way too short in life. Uh, we set our sights on, on the next thing, the next thing that we're looking forward to in life. And in the first half of life, um, you know, we set our same things on like going to school and, and getting good grades and making friends and getting into college. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. We set our sights on a career. We set our sights on getting married and having a family. 
and uh, in the life to come, you know, we, we, want, we want to have children. But then, but then in the second half of life, the second half of life, we, we, we set our sights on not having children because we want them out of the house. And we set our sights on, uh, sights on not having a career and not having a big house and not being tied down. The first half of life is on building a life here. And the second half of life is focused on enjoying the time we have left. And here's the reality. This is, this is what life is like. This is, this is what the scriptures teach us, that life goes on forever. And this is like your life here. So this represents the age to come, and this represents your life in this age. And what's interesting is we live towards like little things here and here and here. And at some point around my age, in your, in your mid-30s and 40s and 50s, you start going, oh gosh, I really want to ex- love, I want to I really enjoy the end of my life. And so we leverage like our best work years and our best resources to try to set ourselves up for this little blue line right here so that we can really enjoy this right here. And the truth is, is that's what's to come. We we invest all of this in just this little period we have right here of life. We spend all of our time trying to squeeze as much life as we can out of this life. I mean, after all, and we've, we've all said it, YOLO. You only live once, right? And this seems like a fun, care way to, carefree way to live, but it's really careless. It is. And the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John, they would say, no, no, you don't understand. Like, there's so much more ahead of you. It's the fulfillment of, and it's, 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 it's the, the fullness of expression of all the good you've ever experienced. I want you to imagine the, the future heaven as the fulfillment of all of that and all those desires that are inside of you. I have a friend who, um, he started using a new phrase. He was telling me recently. He said, anytime he hears somebody talk about something that seems short-sighted in this life or making a decision that's, that, that, that seems like, you know, you, you get, the older you get, you go, you know, you're gonna regret that later. And every time he hears somebody making that decision and they're, they're, they're tempted, you know, to think he's gonna say, you only live once, he, he says this. He says, yeah, after all, you only live forever. Yeah, you should go ahead. Go ahead and do that. You only live forever. Make sure you squeeze that out of this life. Make sure you don't miss out on that opportunity because you only live forever. Why don't you just imagine for a minute? Imagine if we could get this. How, how this could change not only our experience in this life, but in the life to come. There's a whole bunch of people watching. There's a whole bunch of people wondering where our hope is. And what you think about heaven impacts how you live life on earth. And as we said, you, you, you live toward what you look forward to in life. What you think about heaven impacts how you live life on earth. And how you live life on earth, it will impact how you experience heaven. Remember, you only live So where do you place your hope? In this life and squeeze in as much life out of this life as you can. Or in the eternal life where all the only options are is life and life and life for eternity. May we be people whose lives speak of the age to come, speak of the hope of heaven, 
speak of the one who sits at the center of it all, who's made it possible, who promises to raise us from the dead and experience all that we were designed and meant to experience when he created us in the beginning. Let me pray for you. God, I pray today that as a community, as a, as a group of churches, as a network of churches, I, I just imagine the, the potential of all of what we could experience, all of what people around us could experience if they saw a whole bunch of people choosing to live this life differently. And it's not just for this life. I mean, for this life, because following you makes uh, our lives better and it makes us better at life in this life. But the truth is, is it has an impact on how we experience the life to come. May our lives be lives that point to the hope of heaven. I pray for somebody who's here today and they're wondering if this is true. They're wondering how could it be? How is it possible? I pray that today, supernaturally, you would tap into that thing that they've always known on the inside of them, that hole in their heart, that thing inside of them that can never be fully and finally satisfied that maybe today for the very first time they would recognize if they can't find satisfaction in this world, maybe they were actually designed and created for another world. May today be the day that some, as Jesus made possible, move from death to life in you. And we pray it in your powerful name. Amen.